I am mischievous Mark Janacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals and including Amazing Fantasy 15. And hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I say count. But for me, Amazing Fantasy 15 remains a fantasy. Thank you for joining us for this seventh episode of season six of the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Web of Spider-Man comic universe. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. This podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep our podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon. It means a whole lot to us. We really do need the Patreon support to keep our show going. Yeah, Dan. And if you support us every episode of the season, which features artwork by comic artist Nick Cagnetti, that would be available to our Patreon members. It's unlettered in stunning high resolution. It's a real visual treat. But Dan, we, 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 we've kind of done some new projects lately regarding our Patreon and or even heck, heck our non-Patreon. Why don't, why don't we talk to our audience a little bit about them? Yeah, Mark, just a couple of weeks ago, we announced on Twitter and our various social platforms that we are creating our own amazing Spider Talk Substack. <laughs> Now, for you guys don't know what a Substack is, it's basically like the newest version of blogs, so to speak, or newsletters, right? Every week or so, you're going to get an email in your mailbox from Mark and I of a full written piece discussing the latest and greatest Spider-Man stuff. You can also get the app for Substack and it'll pop up there as a new thing to read. But Mark and I are kind of, we kind of got to a point where we were like, hey, there's so many stuff. There are so many things that we could talk about on the show that we doesn't really fit within our show anymore. We used to do spider news and B title reviews and, you know, comic memories and stuff on our show. And just Mark and I have, you know, kind of run out of time to meet up and do it as a recording together, if only because we live on different coasts and things like that. So we decided, you know, it would be really easy just to have an ongoing written creation from us, which is how a lot of our uh, listeners discovered us 
in the first place. And so we turned it into a Substack. Mark, tell us a little bit what some of the things that you're doing in the Substack. Sure, Dan. I mean, I'm not like Nick Spencer and like leaving uh, Amazing Spider-Man to do Substack now, but uh, the, <laughs> the things you can find, I mean, look. Report, people, rumored, rumored, rumored. R- rumored, rumored. Here's the deal. People who have followed me all these years before even I was a podcaster with Dapper Dan here, I uh, used to write about my chase to collect every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which, uh, spoiler alert, has been met, including Amazing Fantasy 15. You know, Dan, this is how you found me. My blog to, to talking about my chase goes through like a lot of the nostalgia and like my kind of like my mental mementos of of collecting. We're going to start including that in the Substack again with new and improved tales, if you will, with uh, you know, thanks to, the, <laughs> thanks to the, the the passage of time, which has changed everything and, and some other collector and Spider-Man nostalgia and history tidbits like this week in Spider-Man history and top five lists because everyone knows Mark likes top whatever lists. And then we're also going to talk about B-title reviews, right? Because we used to do the Swarm B-title reviews. Sick Kyle! Uh, now we're going to do it in the Substack. So I don't know how to say Substack in Nazi German. Just subscribe to it and get those get get your your Swarm fix for sure. Yeah, and I, I'll promise you, no Nazi propaganda in the Substack. Uh, that that is going to be completely uh, uh, like you know uh, not included in our Swarm B title reviews. Although you never know, Swarm might pop up here and there. I'm a little concerned about Swarm's like you know ability yeah, bandwidth to do reviews since he's going to be spending so much of the next year in court fighting like what like <laughs> 90, 90 different uh, felonies right now. But but we'll 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 you know whatever we'll 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 see what we could do there. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I'm sure the offerings will continue to expand from there. We've already had our editor, Alex Galucky, write a piece on the new Spider-Man 2 game, which I'm currently working through. But I know, Mark, you don't even own a PS5, uh, so that would be <laughs> difficult. There will be guests showing up, I'm sure, to write stuff. We've talked about uh, available Alan coming on and, and adding some things. And I feel like, Mark, as there is increasingly news about Spider-Man, uh, and his world, you and I will talk about those things on the Substack. Really, it's just going to be a place for all of the things that we don't have time to talk about on the show appearing in the Substack. And it will come out about every week or two. And it's totally free. That's the best part. It's completely and totally free. You can just click on subscribe there on the, uh, the uh, Substack page and it'll get you right in there. So, the best way to do it is to go to amazingspider.substack.com and it will take you to the main page. You can click on subscribe, pop your email in, and boom, you'll get them in your email or your Substack app. You can also search for Amazing Spider Talk on the Substack app and it will come up. It's awesome. I'm a big fan of Substack. I subscribe to a ton myself. And so I think it's really something special that Mark and I have to offer for everybody. So, We'd really appreciate if you go check it out. I'll also include a link in the description to this episode. And I think this is going to be the next big frontier for Amazing Spider Talk. So if you've liked anything that Mark and I have done up to this point, and hopefully you know that anything Mark and I do, we do with great care, the the Substack is going to be no different. That's uh, about our Substack. We hope you guys check it out and let us know what you think. But... In this season of The Amazing Spider Talk, we're going back to the mid-80s when the Amazing Spider-Man title was handed over to one of the most legendary creative pairings in comics who were just starting their creative partnership. 
That's Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. It was a time of immense change in the comics industry, but together Tom and Ron returned Spider-Man to its Ditko, hoo-ha inspired roots to create one of the most beloved runs on the title. Right, Dan. But in fact, today's show, we're actually going to be talking about the launch of one of the longest running Spider-Man B titles, which is Web of Spider-Man. Now, back in 1985, Web of Spider-Man replaced Marvel Team-Up to become the third ongoing Spider-Man title being released from Marvel. We're going to be talking about why Marvel made this change, what they hope to achieve with the new title, as well as discussing our thoughts on the first run of stories and the title's lasting impact on the history of Spider-Man. Yeah, that's right, Mark. And if you'd like to follow along with our discussion by reading Web of Spider-Man, please know that Mark and I are going to be talking about specifically issues numbers 1 through 10 of the title, with light mentions of additional storylines after that point. This is going to be our Web of Spider-Man episode, covering that run almost in its entirety, which is to say... There's not a ton to talk about with Web of Spider-Man, and so we're going to kind of knock it all out here. I will say, though, many of these issues, specifically 1 through 10, and many of the other ones from the run, aren't available on Marvel Unlimited. There's a bit of a spotty you know, record there. It's like issue 1, issue 5. It's, it's very uh, a little bit like spotty all over the place. And many are not available in Marvel's digital store. But they have been collected in a variety of trades over the years and are generally easy to find as physical copies in online marketplaces for relatively inexpensive prices when compared to early or even contemporary issues of Spectacular Spider-Man or Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, really, Web of number one is probably going to be the most expensive of the bunch given it has a important story element that we'll talk about in it and that cover is so iconic. Um, it at least lets them bump the price up and it's number one. So, you know, there you go. These should be fairly easy to find, although Marvel doesn't make them easy to find digitally, unfortunately. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of Web of Spider-Man? Like we mentioned in our intro, the Web of Spider-Man came out in January 1985. It was the replacement for Marvel Team-Up, which, you know, I'd like to just kind of add, and we talked about this a couple of seasons ago, Marvel Team-Up wasn't necessarily supposed to be the Spidey B-Book, but it more or less became one because, you know, originally it was going to be some Human Torch, some Hulk, some other characters, and they kind of just, you know, after a while were like, no, Spider-Man sells comics. Let's just keep doing Spider-Man and another hero. (laughs) But this was a true bona fide Spider-Man title in concert with Amazing and Spectacular. This one ran for 129 issues. It stopped publication in 1995 with the advent of the Clone Saga and Ben Riley taking over as Spider-Man. Of course, we had like all the titles were kind of put on pause initially and, and it became Scarlet Spider versus Amazing Spider-Man. But then when people complained and hated that, they brought those uh, legacy books back, but not Web of Spider-Man. The very first issue that Dan mentioned, which is probably, like you said, the most expensive one, Charles Vess uh, did this very iconic cover. We we did a riff on it for art for our Patreon members this current season. So, you know, plug, plug Patreon. Charles Vess also did issue number eight of Web of. And he had done the uh, very iconic cover for Amazing Spider-Man 261 a couple of months earlier. So just just a little bit of Spidey history there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his artwork. There's a spectacular Spider-Man. I think it's 196 that has like a a fold out painting done by him of black suit Spider-Man 
blasting away from the hobgoblin who's trailing behind him. Charles Vest is just a really beautiful artist, did a couple Spider-Man things. I think they even did like a Marvel Masterworks book that featured his artwork on Spider-Man. But obviously the web of cover is like one of the more iconic covers of a Spider-Man comic. And, you know, if anything, that sets web of aside from other books is that it really kicked off with this killer cover. Yeah, for for sure. And Louise Simonson and Greg LaRocque, they actually scripted and penciled the first few issues, which, you know, the very first issue was was used to tie a bow around the alien costume saga that had ended in Amazing Spider-Man 258 and kicked off, obviously, the DeFalco Friends run that we are discussing this season. Those three issues were edited by friend of the pod, Danny Fingeroth, but then he gave way to Jim Owsley slash Christopher Christopher Priest, another friend of the pod. I mean, maybe not as uh, repeat as a friend as Danny is. Of course, Christopher Priest had just been named Spider Book Editor as a 20-something-year-old. It's important to note that Danny would write a large number of issues of Web of. A practice of having editors write books is something we really don't see today, uh, probably for good reason, which isn't to say that Danny's a weak writer, but it, it just, you know, it looks... It's just something to note. <laughs> um, um, I'm trying to imagine what Twitter would look like if Nick Lowe wrote an issue of Amazing Spider-Man today. You know, yeah, like, um, like someone else is editing me, but I'm going to write an issue and it'd be like, no, I mean, it would just be terrible. <laughs> um, Speaking of writers like Louise Simonson, you know, we, I know on Spectacular, like uh, Marie Severin or was it Marvel Team Up did uh, several issues in terms of art. But Louise Simonson as a writer, you know, if not the first, one of the first female writers of Spider-Man. Yeah, her and Anne uh, Ossetti so are kind noting. of like in very small company with each other in terms of uh, female writers from that era, for sure. And then, of course, Marie Severin for art. So, you know, you talked about the Charles Vest covers. Well, you know, Owsley slash I, 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 I'm going to go back and forth between calling Christopher Priest Jim Owsley just because it's it's habit. And frankly, in these books, he's referred to as Jim Owsley. So forgive me, people. You can call me out later on Twitter. I'm not there. So I won't hear, hear you or see you do it. In terms of, of famous artists, he actually recruited John Byrne, who is like, you know, I mean, the star of stars in in the mid 1980s. I mean, Fantastic Four. I mean, he would later go on to do the reboot of Superman, of course. Byrne did some covers for the Spider books to kind of use as a selling point for the for the fledging title. <laughs> the problem was Byrne totally was like phoning in covers uh, while he was doing it, including their the cover, which ended up being, I think, the cover for Web of Five. But apparently it was originally the cover of Web of Four, which was the quote unquote paunchy dentist. Doc Ock, uh, which was described by uh, Owsley on his blog. And he was just like, no, we can't do this. And and I, I would like to verify this tale. When we met Danny Figueroth in, uh, was it 2014 at Terrificon in Connecticut, the first time you and I met in the flesh, I had him sign the copy of the Paunchy Dentist cover, not even knowing this story. And, and Figueroff, uh, Danny took the book and he's like, Oh God, what did Byrne do with this cover? What a terrible cover, right? And I was just like, uh, <laughs> could you sign my book? <laughs> like, is, anyway. is that one that you had picked up at the show and just thought you'd walk over to him? Um, I, if I didn't pick it up at that show, I picked it up quickly prior to that. And I was like looking for stuff like, what can I have Danny Figueroa sign? And, and for whatever reason, I felt weird having an editor sign something that he edited. 
So I was just like, oh, he's a he's a writer on this. I'll have him write, I'll have him sign this one. But like clearly, clearly a sore subject for Danny because he was just like, what is up with this cover? That's the best John could do was his exact words to me. And I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> um, so anyway, <laughs> so John Byrne, you know, I think, you know, his covers on Web of would pale in comparison to his Spider-Man chapter one, but we'll, 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 we'll talk about that in a later season. <laughs> I, I honestly, I prefer the web of cover yeah, to the chapter sure. one cover. Yeah. Yeah. But wh- well, why don't you tell me a little, tell us a little bit about what priests wanted out of these books? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, part of the reboot of, of the books and the spider office too, which was going through a lot of changes at, at the time was to give each book like its own personality that each one would cover a different like segment of like Peter's life or his superhero life. The statements they've made since then were that spectacular was supposed to be the dark book led by Peter David. And I think Mark and I, you know, have talked about that this season, like that, that book kind of lived up to that mantra. You know, if, if, even if you just look at the death of Gene DeWolf story, like that was a tone wildly different than Amazing Spider-Man. You've got hoo-ha Ron Friends and, and Tom DeFalco. And then, you know, Peter David is has like a killer offing women with a shotgun. You know, very different things. Uh, so again, yeah, ASM would operate as the more kid-friendly, like, you know, standard genre superhero stuff, the hoo-ha book that Spider-Man had no, been known to be. And whereas Web of would focus more on Peter, the person, and his interactions with the Daily Bugle. I think if you read the first 10 issues, you can kind of see that concept uh, like coming through, but not really with any kind of like real focus or, you know, any, any kind of like real... Uh, it's really in hindsight that you can see that kind of locking in, in place. It, it's, it just feels like a lot of inventory stories. And, and the thing I would compare it to most is like the launch of Spectacular, where it was like kind of all over the place, not really sure of its identity yet. And, you know, as much as they might claim that the book was going to be more about the Daily Bugle, I don't know how realistic that is in the long run. Why don't you tell us about some of the important things that have happened in this title? And, there's not a lot, but like there, it, there definitely have been. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, web of number one. I mean, in addition to having the iconic cover and f- for kind of finishing up the the black suit saga, I think it's also important because I think this is the comic that really establishes the symbiote as like a malevolent personality. I mean, we kind of got that a little bit in ASM, but this like really drives it home. I mean, the symbiote is kind of stalking. Spider-Man trying to re rebond with him. And of course we get the very iconic scene of like Spider-Man ki- not killing, but, but, but defeating the symbiote with the church bells and the sound of the bells, which would be uh, a, a key part of Eddie Brock's origin story. But like, we would also see this in like uh Raimi Spider-Man three, like the, the church bell scene, like very iconic piece of Spider-Man history there in terms of that scene. It's even in the new Spider-Man two video game. You know, I mean, like I don't where, where there is a symbiote. There I, don't, is, I don't have a PS yeah. anything, Dan, but yes, I mean, you know, I'm sure you're right. <laughs> I, I also think it sets up largely the like symbiote being in love with uh, Peter Parker in some way. Um, if you read that issue and we're going to talk about that issue later, um, you know, Peter actually almost gets killed by the church bells as well. The sound kind of takes him out and it is only through the symbiote dragging him away 
that Peter is saved. So there kind of sets up that like, I need to have him like that. There, It wasn't just like a symbiote. It had a personal relationship with Spider-Man in some way. So some other uh, key milestones to talk about, you know, we, we refer to editor Danny Fingeroth writing issues earlier where Priest would actually write issues of this. He kind of was trying to salvage his botched Hobgoblin slash Ned Lead slash Richard Fisk saga with Roderick Kingsley and all that uh, in this story. Also some Spider-Man Wolverine fallout until he was eventually fired from Marvel and didn't reappear until years later where he very famously wrote Black Panther. So it just just kind of put a pin on that. Web of was also used for major crossover events. Craven's Last Hunt was the first one. We should let Tristan know that for the next time he does a trivia contest and wants to know what was the first true crossover. Maximum Carnage. You, famously, you were the one that got that wrong. I, I got everything wrong because I, yeah, I, yeah, I said okay. the, the, the Stone Tablet saga. But, you know, you, you I think, got the points for saying Craven's Last Hunt. Anyway, we're, 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 we're going back. The point was I beat you in that contest, Dan. Just it's like true. It. It's true. It, just yeah. like I got Amazing Fantasy 15 before you. Anyway, also the Clone Saga was crossed over there. Also, the first appearance of Ben Riley as the Scarlet Spider was in Web Of. Uh, in terms of another key first appearance in Web of, Web of number 18, which is a little bit past the run we're going to talk about here, but there is a mysterious hand that comes out of the shadows, pushes Peter onto subway tracks without his spider sense going off. Who was this mystery person? Well, I, it wasn't treated like a true mystery box the way Marvel did today. Sorry, Nick Lowe, but it would be later kind of retconned. I don't know if it was retconned, but it was kind of later presented as, oh, that was me, Eddie Brock pushing you as venom and you couldn't uh sense the the me doing it because of venom not setting off the uh, spider sense web of number 38 famously for all you drunk pete fans and you know i, I don't even know why i'm saying for you drunk pete fans because obviously they know this but peter gets drunk on punch you know so for those of you who want to see like peter not be a square go read web of 38 also a really cool hobgoblin cover anything else happening on this book that you want to talk about dan yeah, well, I mean, after the initial issues that we're going to talk about, like eventually there would be, you know, some longer runs from creators on this book. Jerry Conway would get a sustained run starting with issue number 47, um, I think interrupted once or twice by uh, a couple issues written by uh, Christopher Priest. I think credited as Christopher Priest there instead of Jim Owsley. Uh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, he got about, I think, like a 20 or so issue run alongside artist Alex Saviak. I know the first artist you ever read on a Spider-Man book. And I would say like like Alex became the mainstay artist on Web of. Like it became his book. I think if there's anybody that I associate with Web of, it's Alex Saviak. Because he did, I I gotta say, at least I think he did at least fifty issues of the art on this title. There was a long period there where writers would change, and Alex was always the constant collaborator on Web of. I do think the Web of work from Conway is probably considered his weakest run that he did across Amazing, Spectacular, and his more modern stuff. I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, there was some like there was some fun Tombstone and like Lobo Brothers stuff, but like a lot of that was stuff that was crossing over with Spectacular that Conway was also writing. I do agree generally with that statement that like Web of was kind of like the 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 redheaded stepchild, if you will, of the three Spider books with when Conway was on it. 
you know, Terry Cavanaugh had a long, you know, run on the title. Not, I don't think as long as Jerry, well, maybe just about as long as Jerry's and Howard Mackey as well. Those two like to like travel together, but Terry kind of had a much more sustained presence as like a, maybe like the third most active contributor to the title. Issue 100 famously saw the debut of the uh, the Mark One armor, which is the like disco ball suit, as some Disc- people put it. Disco ball of justice. Yes. Continue. Sorry. It's not <laughs> a good issue of Spider-Man, uh, especially as a 100. But that suit has gone on to spawn many other suits and be in video games and all this stuff. And then, you know, pertinent to our show and those of, of people who love them. Terry Cavanaugh introduced the villain facade in a story. And this kind of put web of, I think back on the map a little bit. There was just an interesting mystery going on there, but famously that mystery never got an end. And we never found out who facade was Dan slot poked fun of that during, I think it's like one of the time heist stories. Yeah. It got the, this story, which like killed off several major characters Got no end, no reveal because it got interrupted by the Clone Saga, and then the Clone Saga interrupted the publication of Web of because it would never come back, and Web of was canceled or just let go. I mean, obviously there's been an issue here or there. There was a point one issue that brought Web of back in the 2000s, and then there was a volume three of Web of, which was uh, tie into the Spider-Man ride at Disneyland and Disney World, but those are all really separate things from the web of that we're talking about today. You know, for Facade fans, we we did get some resolution there in terms of Facade was part of what was stalking Dan during our serial saga. Uh, So there you go. Which was funny because you that was part of the reason why you thought maybe I was a suspect because you were like, no one knows Facade except for maybe you, uh, Mark. And I'm just like, what? No, I don't even know Facade. I forgot about Facade. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> well, it turned out that, yeah, the annual series, Facade came up because the guy pretending to be Norman Osborn heard me mention Facade. So truly, I was my own worst enemy throughout much of that uh, series. And again, a plug for the four episodes of Annual on our show, which I still remain immensely proud of. If you haven't listened to them, go check them out. They're very odd. Mark, let's talk about the first few arcs of Web of Spider-Man. We're going to go through these, the first 10 issues, talking about what kind of stories we're getting, what we think of them. Do we think it lived up to having its own unique identity through these issues? Sure, Dan. And I'm, I'm going to try and speed around this a little bit because I don't think anyone wants to hear us like totally recap this. But obviously, Web of number one, we talked about that a little bit in our intro there. I would probably deem this the most significant issue of not even just the inaugural run that we're going to talk about here, but probably all of Web of Spider-Man. I mean, it certainly has the most like standalone value of any issue of the series. Obviously, the legacy of the symbiote is pretty strongly laid out here. That church bell scene, again, it's 
very famous. It's even in video games that I don't play. Uh, and of course, the cover, which is just a beast of a cover from Charles Vess. You know, I don't know what else we could say about that. But then kind of immediately feeds into Web of 2 and 3. The the other two parts from uh, Louise Simonson here. I find this to be a very cute old school story. It's Peter. He's trying to get a hat for Aunt May, right? I mean, like, wh- wh- who is it? Peter Jenkins who talked about, like, the blueberry pie concept. I mean, this is the blueberry pie concept in full form, right? So uh, he's trying to keep it away from the Volturians, which are like a gang of people that stole Vulture's tech and uh, are now trying to use it to, to rob banks. And Spider-Man obviously gets caught up in it. And the Kingpin is uh, involved in it. It's a really simple tale, like you said, Mark. And honestly, these are my two favorite issues from uh, this run. I think it's just like you said, old school, but there's something really refreshing about it. Uh, honestly, I, I, I just love this and I love the way it makes use of Spider-Man's verticality and the villains he has him fighting enough that if you see the cover to this episode, uh, I had Nick Cagnetti do a reproduction of the Volturians attacking Spider-Man. I think this lays the seeds for all of the various vulture gangs that we would end up getting. Over the years, I'm not sure why the Volturians themselves have never really returned. They're kind of a cool group of villains, you know, and uh, I, I just think it's a lot of fun. Definitely. And, you know, we get some intrigue with Kingpin here. You know, Kingpin is like the Volturians are are auditioning for him, but he's like, I don't want their I don't want their services. So he like helps defend Spider-Man, which, you know, kind of plants a seed for some stuff that comes later with the Hobgoblin. So cool issues for sure. Web of four and five is kind of the big follow up with Doc Ock and the Owl Octopus War arc that we talked about a bit um, last season after Spider-Man rips off Doc Ock's arms and kind of leaves him paralyzed in fear of Spider-Man. Well, it, it's not totally paralyzed. And so Danny Figueroa is writing these two issues. John Byrne is doing the covers. And, you know, like, hey, it's it's a Spidey Doc Ock story. I mean, like, you know, we're, it's not all just like new characters or 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 like, you know, sea level villains. I mean, you know, it's it's cool. And then, like, frankly, Web of Six um, is a big crossover, both with Secret Wars 2, which I mean, you know, if you thought Secret Wars 1 was kind of a toy book and a waste of time, I mean, Secret Wars 2, let me introduce you. Hold my beer. Uh, <laughs> but hey, I mean, big Marvel line crossover. And also it was like the first part of a two-parter that carried over into Amazing Spider-Man 268, which is kind of the the, the Goldfinger uh, storyline of Spider-Man. <laughs> Everything is gold. And Spider-Man finds a golden notebook at the end of this issue, which kind of sets up the ASM issue, which I... I I actually like that ASM issue from DeFalco and Friends because it's like, I think, a very kind of how do we tell a Spider-Man story in the context of this larger event and keep it true to form? And I feel like this one does it because he's super conflicted about having this gold notebook and turning it in and getting money and taking care of his Aunt May and doing all the things he knows he shouldn't be doing. I mean, it's a quintessential Spider-Man conundrum. Uh, and it's all set up in this web of issue. What, yeah. What, what, and I, if, if I can say, like, I think... You know, Web of One through Six is a really solid group of of comics that really, like, if I were reading it then, and those are the first six issues, yeah, they're a little all over the place. There's different writers and different artists, but I think it would have sold me on the importance of this run to the world of Spider Man. I mean, 
not only are they using major villains and having major updates to the status quo, I also think all of these stories really understand how to use Spider-Man in them. They all have like a very Spider-Man lesson in them, whether it be, you know, how like legal or morally righteous is it for me to steal this notepad or, you know, the, the Doc Ock story, which is like, like really establishes the psychic connection between Otto and his arms and has a really like, like, like really big stakes uh, event going on. Does it feel cohesive? Does it feel like it has its own identity? No, it feels like it's just another Spider-Man book, but that's just to say like how on fire the creative teams were in the mid eighties in terms of Spider-Man. I mean, if you were to ask me and I think we've said it before on the show, like this is kind of like, peak spider-man you know to me it's like he you know and the status quo is there to reinforce it you know like mary jane's back in the picture but they're not married you know like and and it's still up in the air he his aunt and him were on the outs and maybe he's restoring that he's like living in an apartment building that is like coming after him for rent and also getting burned down every other week it's just kind of a great time for the character to like really land I think it kind of the ideal spot. And so these stories just feel very natural. They're very about Peter Parker and how Spider-Man interrupts his life. And I'll admit like rereading them this week for the show was really refreshing. Like I I enjoyed these first six issues a lot. So here's the deal. Like I actually thought this was kind of a fun, well-written issue. Totally. Also, this is kind of, I think the, to your earlier point, like, I don't want to say a turning point for the series, but like, this is where it really starts to feel inventory-ish to me. This to felt to me, like, from this point on, it feels like we start getting Marvel team-up stories that were sitting around and got a slight adjustment to be not as team-up focused. Like, they kind of, they have Spider-Man, but they don't feel like they're quintessential Spider-Man stories. No, and and so Web of Seven is... Uh, Christopher Priest gets Peter David to to write this one, which I shouldn't say he got him to write Web of. Like you said, I think this is a story that was sitting around. I think you know, like probably didn't fit into Spectacular based on what Peter David was doing there. Peter David, of course, was like like a favorite of Christopher Priest. Like he loved Peter David, uh, wanted to give him like every job he could basically. So like they took this story, it's this dream issue with uh nightmare and like the Hulk is in it. Like I said, this is a good, I think in a vacuum, it's a good story, but like this totally feels like, you know, and you're going to get like triggered by this, Dan. It could, it feels like it could have been an annual. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like, like I don't, I just, I just don't know what this story is outside the, of like. The only thing it's missing from making it an annual is that like the Hulk and other characters are in the nightmare. Whereas if it was an annual, it would be Spider-Man haunted by his greatest rogues in the nightmare and like that, that would be what made it more Spider-Man-y. And there is like a like somewhat perfunctory ending to this story that like tries to make it Spider-Man. Like he's in this dream. He's protecting this mysterious stranger who is very clearly Nightmare from the start. The minute he saves him, Nightmare is like, I'm not going to let you go. You're going to be stuck in this realm protecting me because your sense of responsibility is so strong. You won't let me get hurt. And that's about the only Spider-Man-ish thing in the issue is that, 
hey, you have a passing familiarity with the Hulk and you have some responsibility behind you. Yes. Also worth noting, I think this might be Peter David's first Hulk story. Oh. Yeah. So Peter David, of course, would write a lot of Hulk in the 90s. You know, don't hold me to that, people. But I'm pretty sure if my my timeline is correct, this is Peter's first uh, Hulk stuff. So, you know, that's cool. I'll also say, like, for an issue of Spider-Man, it's funny because Spider-Man's not even really on the cover. Like it, it is a Hulk cover. You it know? is a Hulk cover, which maybe sure. goes to your inventory uh, story ideas that like they had even a cover around, and they just changed the corner box to be Spider Man. Yes. So Web of Eight and Nine is when I think this book, for the first time, really tries to take on the this idea of like, oh, well, let's make Web of distinct from the other two books, not just another Spider-Man book, but like the book that focuses on Peter, the reporter, the photojournalist, like this is like, and this is also David Michelinie's first writing of Web of, it's not his first Spider-Man, he did some Marvel team up prior to this. I think on a very, on, on a base level, th- these are good comics or interesting comics, maybe I would say. Peter uh, and and this other reporter from the Bugle are going out to investigate where uh, a farmer gets superpowers from an asteroid and it, it, it makes him this pariah and he becomes this new character called, or, or the new version of this character called Thunderbolt. And the existing Thunderbolt is in this community as well and this guy he gets outcast from his family and his community so he's going to go exact his revenge against the original thunderbolt and this has this kind of finale where you know the 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 new thunderbolt kills the old thunderbolt and peter feels like really kind of bad and exploitive about being there reporting on the story and he's like you know very shamed by it and he kind of walks away from it but the reporter that he's with is like snapping photos and taking notes and stuff and it kind of shows i feel like the seedy underbelly of the newspaper world which i'm like okay if this is what we're going with here i mean that's i don't know how like captivating of a read that is for people uh, to like be rooting against what the hero is doing. I don't know. What do you think about this, Dan? Am I, am I overreading it here? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to correct you, but like, I, I, you know, I just reread this this morning and actually it's like even more directly blaming the newspaper than that. Like in it, the, the identity of Thunderbolt is outed by this, this very like career hungry journalist. And at first Spider-Man is very upset about that because he's like, you don't know what, you've done to this poor man and they show up at his house and there's all these people outside and he's like, look, this is a mob. They're going to kill him. And it turns out they're all cheering him on, thanking him for saving their town. And so Spider-Man's like, Oh, that's actually great. And the journalist tries to be like, Hey, see, like journalism can be good. Like you know, <laughs> that, it's really your fault. But then they go inside the house and they find that, he was reading the newspaper and saw his identity was outed and suspecting the worst commits suicide. Another running theme through this time period in the books. And then the journalist is like, well, that's still news and takes pictures of his dead body. Got it. And it's really, I I, I was rereading quickly, Dan. So you can forgive me on that one. (laughs) No, it's, I mean, it's a disturbing ending to a book and I'll, I'll say my opinion about it, which is, I think these are interesting comics and an interesting story and an interesting political point about like the, 
power of journalism, but they're kind this is kind of another one of those my least favorite Spider-Man stories where it's like Spider-Man feels very perfunctory to the whole thing. It could be almost any hero. It doesn't even necessarily need to be a hero. Like there's some fights in it, but they feel very perfunctory to the whole thing. So it's like, it's all like a different, there's a reporter we never see again, you know, like it, it's just like, it feels like Michelini had a story sitting around and found a way to plug Spider-Man into it, which again gets to our critique of a lot of these early web of stories. That brings us to the last issue of this run that we're going to talk about. It's another Danny Figueroff story. Uh, and this one involves Dominic Fortune, who was also a Marvel team up uh, character. They're going against the shocker. I actually read some uh, analysis of this story online and, and, Fortune is getting like hunted by these by the by the mob. Basically, there seems to be kind of like some Nazi undertones to this uh, mob uh, to to, to the mobsters here. And they were talking about how like shocker because it's Herman Schultz. Maybe there's like some like anti-Semitism going on. I mean, like. I don't know, Dan. Am I that? What, what's your take on that? Am I getting too deep into the weeds here? No, there's there's definitely something really odd about the way this story is set up and the character of Dominic Fortune, and he's kind of like a mercenary for hire in World War II, and they don't really get into the details of like like deeply into like morally what he was doing um, during that time. It's very odd, and th- again. You mentioned that he was a Marvel team-up character. This story really feels like, hey, this was a Marvel team-up issue that we had ready to go, and now we're throwing it into web of. Yeah, for sure. But I will say for you history buffs, this was kind of Danny's first long run writing um, Shocker as a villain and kind of like as a loser villain, which would then play a part when... Uh, Danny Figueroa would do like the Sinister Foes of Spider-Man miniseries, which of course begat the Superior Foes of Spider-Man series where Shocker was like the ultimate punchline, including being the uh, the, the Magia King with the severed head of uh, Silvermane, which I know we're not going to get in the Zeb Wells gang war, but damn it, I wish we would, right? <laughs> never, never to be referenced again, unfortunately. I mean, um, talk about missed opportunities. Probably Nick Spencer's greatest contribution to comics. No, that's that's Nick Spencer did a lot of great stuff, but that, but I think that might be the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Even Nick Spencer felt he couldn't touch it in some way, and yet it still feels like it's been retconned. But what are you going to do? Well, if you're someone that feels similarly and you want to shout into the void about it, Mark, where could you do that? Well, uh, one of the places could be the Slack. Hundreds of listeners like you, Dan Kavaz, and hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, what's been going on in the Slack this week, which, frankly, based on when this episode comes out, might actually be this week. So talk, tell oh, yeah. us about it. <laughs> absolutely, Mark. Uh, this week week in the slack we've been talking about the conclusion to loki season two um i was a big fan of loki season one you know some ups and some downs and i've been really kind of down on the mcu recently not like basement level you know but like uh, other than guardians volume three very little has done a lot to really move the needle for me and so i initially didn't check out loki season two 
And then my friend David Chen, who I've been doing a bunch of podcasts with over on his feed at Decoding TV, invited me on to talk about Loki after we had reviewed season one. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll give it a chance. Turns out this thing's awesome. And the ending is even better. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know if it redeemed Secret Invasion for me. It it is it is really awesome and gives me a lot of hope that maybe the MCU was really killed by COVID and we can kind of find our way back again. It's just bold. It's from two filmmakers I really like. So um, you know, Loki season two. If you haven't checked it out, do so and then come into the Slack. We've got an MCU spoilers channel that you can hop into and discuss spoilers uh, in, in there with uh, a bunch of people who are like-minded and respectful and uh, will love having your voice there. So I know you haven't seen it yet, Mark, so I'm looking forward to chatting with you when you do watch it. But yeah, that's Lo- Loki season two. I mean, yeah, for the for the reasons you described, Dan, I've been kind of not checked out on the MCU, but like not as hot and into it. And uh, we've had some you know, stuff going on in our personal lives, my wife and I. So I just haven't had a chance to really sit down and go through it. But like, you know, your your adoration for it makes me want to check it out. So um, we will we will probably be watching it sooner instead of later. Awesome. Well, um, if you want to join in our conversation again, come check out our amazing spider slack. There's a link in the description to this episode that you can click on and it will let you sign up in less than a minute. Hop on in. Come say hi. And uh, we'd love to see you there. Okay, Mark, why don't you take us back to our discussion of Web of Spider-Man? Sure, Dan. Well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit, you know, we, we obviously talked about the contents of these comics. I wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about just my personal feelings and, you know, where I feel these comics kind of fit into the overall legacy of the Spider-Verse, if you will. I, 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 I you know, hate to use highfalutin terms, but I'm going to do it here. I, I do want to put forward the idea that I think like purely subjectively, these are fine comics. And I think Christopher Priest, Jim Owsley, whatever you want to call him, despite his very noted idiosyncrasies and, and pettiness during this era, as it pertains to our very good friends of the pod, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, he's a good editor. Like the, like, like even with the disjointedness of different writers, different artists and, you know, two issues of this one issue of that this one crosses over here blah 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 like these are well put together comics you know like you cannot say that these are rushed together and don't make sense you know like every 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 comic has a very cohesive beginning middle and end with all of that said i i i'm going to put this in the frame of or in the context of so web of was introduced to replace marvel team up and, you know, we, we haven't talked about Marvel team up since what season two, season three, it's been a while. The fact of the matter is I am an unabashed fan of Marvel team up as a concept. I, I like the idea of a team up comic book with Spider-Man. I think it's a good way of bringing in new characters, new villains, trying out certain characters for Marvel. Like, you know, where else are you going to see Spider-Man with, characters like Howard the Duck or Dominic Fortune or I mean you know whatever <laughs> I mean like it, it, there's a lot of latitude with Marvel team up that I don't feel you can get with just another B book 
that is Spider-Man stories in the traditional sense. For me, it's like, what what itch does Web of Scratch that would make me want to go to that book specifically to read more of? And I think the answer is there isn't one. It's like, you want more Spider-Man stories, you get more Spider-Man stories. That's what Web of does. And that's all great and all, but we already had amazing and spectacular at that point. And frankly, you know, fast forwarding to 35 plus years later, you know, I I tend to think that the market is oversaturated with content from Marvel sometimes. So like, if you're going to give me something new, I really want like a really distinct flavor to it. And certainly WebUp didn't do it. And I feel like if this was, if this came out today, it would be even more kind of offensive in the fact that it doesn't offer something different. So like in that regard, I'm just kind of like, all right, these aren't bad comics, but like what could not have been accomplished here in the issues of amazing or spectacular with these books? Like what, what's the point of it all? I think that's kind of where I come, I come down on it, which is like, you know, not the greatest opinion, but like it's where I'm at with it, Dan. What about you? I, I feel similarly to you. I think I'm, you know, I, I don't know that I'm quite as hot on Marvel team up. I'm hot on the idea of it more than I think I am on the execution of it. Um, we talked about, all, all of that a couple seasons ago and where I binged what like 90 issues of Marvel team up in like a week and a half. And that might color my opinion because I just don't recommend that to anyone unless it's the burn, you know, uh, the Claremont burn stuff, which is great. You know, like I would read that book, you know, forever. And granted, I likely could get that team up on the X-Men if I, you know, wanted it to go forever, you know, I mean, it definitely lived up to its potential in regards. There were a lot of different characters teaming up, but I don't feel like a lot of those stories felt very Spider-Man-y and versus this book. Like I already said, the first six issues to me feel very like much like Spider-Man stories. And I think the overall run of 127 issues of, of uh, web of there are a handful of like really solid Spider-Man tales when I compare it to something like Spectacular, I think it has just as shaky of a start as Spectacular did, where it was trying to figure out its identity. And I don't know if Spectacular ever really figured out what its identity was other than like more Spider-Man, but it definitely had like significant runs on it that I think make people remember the title more fondly or feel like it had its own identity. I'm thinking specifically of like the JMD Sal Buscema era, even though Marvel won't collect it, people really hold that up as like a peak Spider-Man run. And, you know, there's some great names on web of, you know, Alex Saviuk is like a favorite Spidey artist. He did a lot of the stuff in the newspaper shit for a long time and has that real Ramita esque flair, you know, and you got Jerry Conway, who's not a lightweight either, but I don't think any of the stuff they ever did really uh, on this title ever really stood out. And so it didn't really ever establish an identity in the way spectacular seems to have after the time. And maybe it's just because it was the third Spider-Man book. And we aren't even talking yet about the nineties where we reached peak Spider-Man concurrent titles between, you know, amazing spectacular web of adjective lists and, and, on name and on. It, what yeah. else? Yeah. And on and on. So that it was struggling this early on and that had to compete with like a book that had the hottest artist in, in Marvel or in comics on it. It just never got the, 
real true footing to launch. And yet it still ran for a hundred and nearly 130 issues. So it's nothing to like scoff at. It was just kind of always was the like third or fourth Spider-Man book. And it got the third or fourth Spider-Man talent on it. And, you know, I don't think there was ever a point where people were like web of is the hotter book than amazing. Uh, Like that people often say about spectacular, like, the really great stories were in spectacular, not in amazing. That's kind of how I feel about it. I've read through the run like once and there's a handful of stories I'll return to. Mostly it's just kind of like, oh, okay. Like some fun stories in there and facade is a thing I like to make jokes about. So <laughs> there you go. It is funny to me. Like, like, you know, I know I mentioned a few minutes ago that it feels like it's like an, you know, even now I feel it's like an oversaturation of content sometimes. But at the same time, like, I don't think a book like this gets published today, you know, like it, 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 even even an oversaturation, it's just too samey and inventory ish, if you will, uh, to, to get done. I mean, you know, we, we, we had like Chip Zdarsky's spectacular and even that just felt very distinctively different than what we were getting in amazing and you know same with like you know today with spine tingling spider-man or you know with friendly neighborhood spider-man when that was coming out a few years ago it felt just very different this is like the only the only thing i could compare this to is maybe like the symbiote spider-man books that peter david was doing where it just felt like it's a Spider-Man title that features Spider-Man doing random action and villain fights. You know, like it didn't tie into a main story. You could ignore. I mean, I, I collect almost every title and I just don't know that I have like the bandwidth in me to go like, I got to collect those because they really feel perfunctory. No, excellent. All right. Any, anything else you want to say about Web of for the good of the order, Dan, or um, do we want to get to the get to the finish? No, I mean, it's an interesting title and, you know, with some interesting stuff, I would, if you never read it, read the first six issues, check out the Jerry Conway run, you know, and maybe the, the stuff leading up to the clone saga is interesting in like a historical perspective. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, it's not one that I'm like, like, I mean, I nearly own every issue of it, but, um, I'm, I'm not like, it's not like a super hot collecting thing for me. It doesn't hold a lot of nostalgic memory for me it's web of man chasing web of my new blog <laughs> I, I kid i kid well on that note it's that time that time where of course all good things must come to an end so we want to say thank you to you the listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of the amazing spider talk Yeah, this podcast exists because of listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, less than a current issue of Amazing Spider-Man, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes. Mark, that that number is going to age rapidly as we begin <laughs> to compare the cost of a new comic versus our subscription model, which was meant to mimic the cost of a new comic. Maybe we need to up the uh, subscription model then. I'm just saying. Oh, shh, shh. I, I, I don't even know if that's possible. Again, for only $3.99 a month, you can get uh, new issue reviews of Amazing Spider-Man the same weeks they release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. So a thank you to everybody who already supports us in the work that we do, including a special thanks to our newest contributor, Jamie Hamilton. 
to download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like Jay and Demetrius, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, David Michelinie, and many more. Subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can even hear our early interviews with people like Danny Figueroth talking about his time working on Web of. He talks about those Doc Ock issues. He kind of, you know, even though he made fun of that cover off air, it's all there on our podcast in terms of him talking about it. So I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe he made fun of it on the air and I don't remember it, Dan. Dan, we could just go back and go to back issues and find out. Well, this podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galaki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. And just as a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to our brand new Amazing Spider Talk Substack. You can subscribe by going to Amazing Spider dot substack dot com and click on the subscribe button and then you'll you don't need to think about it ever again it's going to show up in your email it'll show up on your substack app you can read all the awesome things that mark and i have to say about modern spider-man comics and the like so mark until our purse shopping gets interrupted by a bunch of goons wearing vulture costumes what's our motto With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk.